John, I got to warn you, I had my booster shot this week. I'm feeling bulletproof. You better watch out for me on this podcast. Nice. Awesome. What'd you get? I got the Moderna. Yay. On top of the J&J. So I'm like 99.99% more reliable than an AWS data center at this point. Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We're coming to you from Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in tech, science, and innovation. We're actually, John, are we coming to you from the metaverse? Is that where we're actually no. coming to you from? No. Okay. Not in the metaverse. <laughs> we'll get into that a little later on. What happens here matters everywhere. And every week on this show, we talk about some of the biggest and most interesting stories in the news. As I said later on, we'll talk about Facebook. And John, I've got a little surprise for you. Long ago in a galaxy far, far away on this podcast. We used to do a segment that everybody loved called App of the Week. Apps have become a little passe, perhaps, and the novelty of, hey, what app are you using? Kind of went away, and so with it, the feature faded away. But I gotta tell you, I have found an app that I think is gonna change your life. My life? Your life, personally, John. John Cook's life is gonna be different after this App of the Week segment. I cannot wait to learn about it. All right, so that's coming up in the final segment. But first, let's talk about Amazon. The company had its earnings this week, and they had a big profit miss, not even close to the estimates of Wall Street analysts. And this is one of those moments where Amazon gets to play both sides of the coin. This time, of course, it's Andy Jassy, the new CEO who took over for founder Jeff Bezos earlier this year delivering the quote that sets the context that tries to put Wall Street at ease and create the space for Amazon to do whatever the hell it wants to do. John, I thought it would be interesting to dissect the Jassy quote in the Amazon earnings release. You can, I think, get a sense for the pressure that Amazon is under by just counting the number of words or looking at the length of the CEO quote, whether it was Bezos or now Jassy, in the earnings release. And this is a long one. It's a long one. So you're saying the length means they are in hotter water. So a shorter quote is, we're doing great. Yes. And a longer quote means they need to explain why things maybe aren't working the way they should be. Exactly. And not only are the shorter quotes indication of things are going pretty well, but oftentimes those shorter quotes or the quotes in quarters when things aren't falling apart, they can throw in random stuff. Like maybe they'll mention Twitch usage or random things that they want to highlight, not really on topic. But from the first sentence of this quote in the news release, Andy Jassy makes it clear (laughs) that he's in true Bezos style, preparing shareholders for some patience. They're going to need some patience to get through this is basically what he's saying. Let's hear it. We've always said that when confronted with the choice between optimizing for short-term profits versus what's best for customers customers (laughs) over the long term, (laughs) we will choose the latter. In other words, we'll choose what's best for customers over the long term. And you can see that during every phase of this pandemic. All right. So first, classic Bezosian approach. You, you could do a drinking game every time they mention <laughs> customers. <laughs> 
So here, I think if they issued nothing but this sentence, you would know that they missed profits. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. We've always said it's it's um I don't know. How do you how do I phrase this? It's like, you know, it just it seems a little arrogant to me. Well, it basically shows that Amazon can do, as I said, whatever they want. Why 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 even put out a long quote? Why don't they just why even put out a quote? I mean, historically doesn't Amazon just kind of blow off these things? But I think increasingly in recent years you you have seen Bezos signal it more explicitly and I think that's happened as the company has come under greater scrutiny and now here you have Jassy picking up that mantle it's interesting with Jassy now at the helm whether he'll be given as much grace period as Bezos because I think Bezos had the magical spell around Wall Street and could do no wrong and could do whatever he wanted now can Jassy carry that same charisma and, and magic into, into Wall Street? My sense is it doesn't matter that people just are so enamored. When I say people, I mean investors and big money on Wall Street, so enamored with what Amazon is doing and can do that Jassy just needs to keep the train running on the tracks. Okay, so next sentence. In the first several months of COVID-19, Amazonians played an essential role to help people secure the requisite PPE, food, and other in-demand items needed, and we worked closely with businesses and governments to leverage AWS to maintain business continuity as they responded to the pandemic. John, we're not even halfway through the quote yet. I know, this quote's huge. Customers have appreciated this commitment, which is part of what's driving this past quarter's AWS growth acceleration to 39% year over year. But, and here it comes, it's also driven extraordinary investments across our business to satisfy customer needs. Just one example is that we've nearly doubled the size of our fulfillment network since the pandemic began. Okay, here it comes. In the fourth quarter, we expect to incur several billion dollars of additional costs in our consumer business as we manage through labor supply shortages, increased wage costs, global supply chain issues, and increased freight and shipping costs. This is all one sentence. All while doing whatever it takes to minimize the impact on customers and selling partners this holiday season. It'll be expensive for us in the short run, but it's the right prioritization for our customers and our partners. Okay, lots of interesting stuff there to me. Most notably, Amazon said on their call that for the first time, the constraints in their logistics network are not capacity. In other words, they have enough fulfillment center space to deliver products to customers in the time they want to deliver them. But labor, workers. They need more robots. <laughs> exactly. They cannot find enough workers, despite the fact that they're almost at 1.5 million workers globally, and most of their growth is coming in their distribution, fulfillment, and delivery operations. Yeah, this is the interesting thing with Amazon compared to Microsoft, which we're going to talk about later, and where their stock is, because it's a people-intensive business if you're moving packages around and so the profit margins aren't as great on this business. Now, on AWS, certainly they are, but that's only a component of Amazon. Selling products to consumers is hard and logistically challenging, and, and they're valued as a, as a tech company on that business, which, I don't know, it's more like a 
you know, a UPS or FedEx or it's just strange that they get this massive valuation increase on a business that's people intensive. And because of that, it's lower profit margin. And it really is kind of like this magic component where they're able to cast this spell on Wall Street to get that kind of grace and that kind of forgiveness. And I think your point earlier, John, about whether Andy Jassy will get that kind of leeway as Jeff Bezos did, I think that's an open question. And I have a hunch his leash will be shorter. In other words, if this continues for six months or so, that's where you might see the stock start to take a hit and investors and analysts starting to be more skeptical, whereas Jeff Bezos might be able to pull it off for a longer period of time, given the credibility that he has over the years. Well, and they've also lost Jeff Wilkie, who I think was considered by many the mastermind of of this part of the business, you know, the consumer uh, product selling component of what Amazon does, what, what Amazon is best known for. And, you know, I think maybe that leadership change might have an impact as well. I'm sure Amazon will say we've got a deep bench and got a great team, but I don't know. Anytime somebody with that much experience in the organization walks out, you got to wonder what impact it's going to have. So Amazon says that to deal with the labor shortage, they've been increasing their average wage. It's now starting at around $18 an hour in some markets. Um, Signing bonuses in some cases are around $3,000 to get people to come on board. My big question and the thing that really was not addressed on the call and I think might not be answerable in the short run is how much of Amazon's labor shortage is due to the broader market trends and the overall shortages in the economy versus the quirks of Amazon and the degree to which they've just been churning through people in their logistics operations, which has been widely documented. Well, it's probably a combination, I would think. I mean, this is a this is a major problem as everybody has read about in terms of a labor shortage. I mean, you go to any restaurant or bar around Seattle and their folks are all very concerned about their ability to have people working. And so this is a big trend that Amazon is facing. Now, what you're bringing up is interesting in that how much does Amazon's culture of of churning through workers just contribute to the problem in a much bigger way? So it's kind of the double whammy to some degree if both of those factors are causing them not to get the employee base they need. They've added hundreds and hundreds of thousands of employees over the last 18 months. And it seems based on some of the reporting by the New York Times and others that their internal systems have not been able to keep up with that growth. In other words, people who are going on leave or have temporary issues, they're not treated in a literally human manner. The systems themselves kind of look at the circumstances and make decisions that people exercising human judgment would not necessarily make. And I think that that's one of the reasons for the churn is that the people who are working at Amazon are in some cases kind of saying, okay, I'm done with this. I'm moving on. Even if I could get rehired, I wouldn't. And I think that's going to be another challenge that they're facing going forward. To me, John, the most fascinating thing about this Jassy quote is it's ostensibly about the results just reported, the third quarter results, but he immediately pivots toward the end to the fourth quarter and says, hey, not only did we miss here in the third quarter, but in the fourth quarter, quote, we expect to incur several billion dollars of additional costs. So that to me is kind of the the classic Amazon formula where uh, it's 
making sure that investors are being braced for what's to come. Now, here's my thing. Here's my thing. Yeah. I think that they're going to then surprise folks in the fourth quarter. I think Probably. this is their classic formula. They're setting low expectations yeah. that they can then exceed. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what you kind of do. What what struck me was um, their fourth quarter guidance, where they said they expect operating income between zero and three billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, that's real. <laughs> that's a yeah, that's that's a super big, helpful super yeah, helpful guidance. <laughs> but they had they had six point nine billion in the fourth quarter of twenty twenty. So I guess they're saying. You know, they're saying is it is going to be a worse quarter, but still, that's a pretty big gap. It is. It is. John, to your point earlier, the market so far is saying, well, that's all right. Basically, Amazon stock, we're recording here on the day after earnings, it's down just about 3%. But Amazon's market cap is still $1.69 trillion. I mean, how would you like to lose 3% of your value and still be valued at almost $1.7 trillion. That I think is the, the Amazon premium right there. That's, that's not what FedEx and UPS would enjoy in terms of their treatment from Wall Street. Yeah. I'm curious what UPS market value is just as a, as a comparison. Let me, let me look that up. UPS is 187 billion billion compared to 1.6 trillion. Now, of course, there's yes. a lot more to Amazon than just logistics. They've obviously got the core e-commerce business and, and they've got AWS. One of the most notable things in these earnings were that for the first time, Amazon's total retail sales, online and physical stores were less than 50% of their overall revenue. In other words, other services like advertising, AWS, those exceeded the total of Amazon's retail sales for the first time, which to me was a bit of a milestone in the very definition of what this company is. Jason Del Rey from Recode brought this up on the media call with Brian Olsofsky and tried to get Amazon's CFO to kind of wax philosophical about what this milestone meant. You can imagine how, how that went. CFOs love to do that. You know, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was yeah, I, exactly. It, his <laughs> answer was such that I couldn't quite tell. I'm sure he understood the question, but it, it came off almost <laughs> like he didn't understand the question. It was a good try by Jason, though, I got to say. So Microsoft's market value, to your point, John, this surprised us. I guess we had not been tracking this as closely as we normally do. $2.47 trillion dollars. Well, they had a blockbuster quarter and stock has been just screaming here this week. Yes. So big quarter for Microsoft driven by the cloud business. And I love to track the different components of Microsoft's business. And you can see Azure and cloud services and office and cloud services, the two parts of the company where Microsoft has invested most in the cloud. Those are the areas of growth. And there's a chart that we do that I can link to from the show notes that just show it very clearly, very starkly. I love your charts, Todd. Thanks. Doing, thanks. You're doing a great job with the charts. And then Windows is basically just flat, even with the launch of Windows 11, of course, which was after the quarter ended. But still, sometimes in the past, the anticipation of Windows 11, well, it depends on the year. It depends on the dynamic. It's been a long time since Windows 95, I guess is the best way to put it. But yeah, Microsoft's market cap looks a lot like Amazon's employment chart. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. up 
up and to the right. And and Microsoft is now the most valuable company on the planet. They surpassed Apple as of the recording of this show. Yeah, $2.47 trillion. Just an amazing, crazy story how that company turned around. I know we've talked a lot about it, but it just boggles the mind. All right. Well, I will link from the show notes to all of our coverage of Amazon earnings, Microsoft earnings, lots to dig into, and really some interesting moments this week for each company, just in terms of their overall journey, their overall story, and what they're evolving into. And it's uh, interesting to compare the two. All right. Coming up, it's the metaverse. We're going to talk about Facebook. You're listening to GeekWire, and we'll be right back. I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. We are rounding up the week's news, which this week included a big announcement from Facebook. And I know that the name change made lots of headlines, got lots of jokes. So let's just get this out of the way first, because I do think there's more of substance here to talk about. And John, I watched Mark Zuckerberg's entire one hour and 20 minute connect keynote. God bless you. I made <laughs> so. it about 25 minutes through and uh, <laughs> that was that's about all I could stomach. So Meta is the new name for the umbrella company that used to be Facebook that now holds essentially the Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp apps. Meta is the company name. John, your hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Hot take. I think they. I think it's smart they changed their name. I think it's um, you know an age old tactic when you're getting completely beat up, and I, the name makes sense. I, I think it's a decent name change. Um, I will go on a little bit more about the metaverse and what it re- what it represents later, but uh, you know, I think it's a fine name change. I mean, and it makes sense in the same style that. Google went through this and did this and changed to Alphabet, and they were able to put, you know, different parts of their business under the Alphabet umbrella. And so I, I think that's fine and makes sense. Now, what Facebook is trying to do, or what Meta is trying to do with the Metaverse, is uh, I don't know. I'm not there, Todd. I am not. I'm not going to be in the Metaverse. Sorry, I'm not buying into the vision. Before you reach that conclusion, I want to give you one one chance, one last chance here. Okay. So let's hear directly from Mark Zuckerberg, and let's let him make his pitch. This is a, a just a one-minute sample from his Connect keynote. Let's listen to it now. Together, we can finally put people at the center of our technology and deliver an experience where we are present with each other. Together, we can create a more open platform with more ways to discover experiences and more interoperability between them. And together, we can unlock a massively bigger creative economy. I know the internet story isn't straightforward. Every chapter means new voices and new ideas. And yes, there will be challenges and risks and disruption of established interests. But there will also be opportunities and benefits that we can't even imagine yet. 
for connection, for creation, for learning and joy, we'll all need to work together from the beginning to bring the best possible version of this future to life. A future where, with just a pair of glasses, you will be able to step beyond the physical world and into the kinds of experiences that we have talked about today. I've been thinking joy. a lot about He's going to bring no. joy. I, I have. I have so many problems with this. I'm not even sure where to start. <laughs> By the way, and he went on from there to explain the oh, name change. So, but, but go ahead. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't know where, where should, where should I start on this, Todd? I mean, so the metaverse for folks who have not been tracking this, this is this whole notion of an immersive world that essentially is glorified VR augmented reality. The idea that you will put on these glasses and the world will become digitized for you. And you'll have meetings and interactions, social events, go to joy. concerts, joy and joy. Pure joy. Why didn't they call themselves joy? That would have uh, been yeah. That would have been good. Yeah. That would have been All good. Right, so so that's the concept. Maybe because the dishwashing detergent holds the <laughs> exactly. trademark on it. So you're seeing the beginnings of this with early versions of AR and VR. So John, does that give you a place to start? Well, let me start with this because. One of my things I hate, I don't like having things on my body. I don't like wearing jewelry. I don't wear a watch. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like having things on my body. So the first component of this, that you have to put some piece of physical hardware on you in order to go live in this virtual experience, I'm out right there. I think that's dumb. So, um, and I know that that's, that's just a quirk of me, but that's just, that's stupid for okay. me. Okay. okay so, so set that so aside for a second. If I'm you set that were aside. not a cranky old man, take it further <laughs> than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I get really, really frustrated with the tech, you know, the big umbrella of the tech industry when stuff like this comes out, because I don't think it's solving a problem that we really face. We face so many problems in society global warming, income inequality, streamlining of, of the healthcare system and health records, uh, health, you know, just basic health, cybersecurity, racial, racial, I mean, like the list goes on where technology actually could do something positive. Gender this, inequality. Yeah. This doesn't do, this doesn't do it at all. In fact, it probably just adds to the problem as Facebook has already demonstrated with their previous product that they created. So like, I mean, I get excited about things like, gosh, wasn't it cool that like Moderna was able to create an mRNA vaccine? That's technology to me. That's what should be celebrated. Um, hopefully there's like, isn't it cool that maybe there's new battery technology that's going to help reduce our carbon footprint? I mean, all that, that's, that's cool. That's stuff we can get excited about, and we should try as a tech industry to try to solve those problems. This seems like a complete made-up thing that's not even I, – I don't know. I'm, I just it, it just really frustrates me. Okay. I'm going to play Zuckerberg's advocate okay, here. Sure. If I could. Yeah, we can just connect so... and have joy. I can send <laughs> no, 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 a no. video of I... my dog to my dad, and he'll feel like he's petting my dog. No, Woo! no. I... That doesn't so solve I... a big problem. So I think – you're making good points and fundamentally I agree with you, but I do want to explain where Facebook is coming from because I think I do understand it after spending my hour and 20 minutes <laughs> with Mark and friends. So yes, Facebook has caused 
inadvertently, in their opinion, some of these challenges, or at least through its aspirations to connect people, enabled some of the worst elements of society. Yes, granted, we'll give you that. However, here is an opportunity for a fresh start. The metaverse, in their view, is the next stage of the internet, and therefore they can take all of these lessons that they've learned and start by anticipating some of the negative and all of the negative repercussions of what they might build, work with all sorts of outside communities, and really be the company that's in the best position to create a better version of the internet, not only through technology, but through inclusion and fairness and equality because they've seen how bad it can go. Now, those are not the words they use, but that's the message okay. that I got let, from part let, of their segment. Let me push back on it a little bit. First off, lessons learned. I think the jury's out whether there were Agreed. actual learned lessons here. For everything from what I've been reading uh, signals that there haven't been lessons learned. So uh, I'm doubtful that this is the company to do it. Y you know, you talk about partners and doing it and then, you know, this interoperability. I know Zuckerberg was talking about that. Facebook is, no one wants to partner with Facebook on this. They're going to build this giant ecosystem of Apple and Microsoft and, and no, no. I, I mean, I don't think, I, I just don't see other companies wanting to play ball in Zuck's meta metaverse. I, I don't see it. Right. And there were so many subtle digs at Apple along the way here in terms of him describing the, the economic trap that, quote, other companies put uh, these apps in. So he was talking about Facebook and the split and and the, the, the also the issues that Facebook is now dealing with, with Apple cracking down on third-party cookie tracking for advertising, yeah. all that. So there was a lot of political subtext there. Yeah. So now they're going to start – I mean, if you're going to truly build the metaverse, you would probably need Apple and Microsoft as partners, right? Um, and it doesn't seem like Zuckerberg's in the position to broker some great, uh, alliance with Apple and Tim Cook. I mean, so I, I don't know. I think it's just crazy. I don't, I don't think this is the company that's well positioned to do this. I, I mean, now I will say the metaverse is not for me, but having a kid who's essentially growing up in the metaverse, uh, with, you know, gaming and how he connects with, with people. I see it and I understand the concept and I think it's going to be something that continues to grow. I don't think it's going to be under the Facebook umbrella and I don't see it being this real connected experience there, there's one metaverse, you know, there's probably going to be 20 metaverses you know? and they're going to all be controlled by different fiefdoms and you're probably going to pop in to one or the other based on the type of experience you want. And that's where Zuckerberg would say there needs to be interoperability. It struck me as he was talking at times, it felt to me and reminded me of Bill Gates in the mid to late 90s explaining what the internet was going to be to people who'd never <laughs> experienced it before. And my concern, John, in us, you and me, uh, in our, well, you just turned, did you just turn 50? Yes, this month. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, By the still, way, still this month. 
Yeah. This is a whole other topic, but did you have some sort of party at Stoop that you didn't invite me to? I've been meaning to confront you about this on <laughs> You the were podcast. out of town and it wasn't really and, it wasn't really a party. Ed Lazowska said Ed Lazowska said in an it email. Well, John's party well, is at, at Stoop on this date. And I was like, Oh really? Oh, I thought I thought There we were, were a couple people. Uh, we Okay. I don't think we have to go into my 50th birthday plans and what happened. <laughs> anyway, you're, you're 50 years We were old. not in the metaverse, is, I'll tell you that. We were, and I guess, I guess I will make this point. I will make this point because we weren't in the metaverse. What we did was we got a group of people together and we went to Port Townsend and we were at Fort Warden. And we had real walks on the beach. And I could throw an actual ball to my dog and I could talk to my brothers in person. And like, this is the other thing I hate about the metaverse. I want to get away from the metaverse. I want to get, I, I want to reduce my screen time. I want to reduce my son's screen time, especially because it's harmful. I mean, like the studies are out there about how much time you spend in these connected digital worlds that you lose track of what it means to like take a walk in the woods or interact with somebody in the physical environment. I, I think it's happening. I already see it happening. I also I also just don't think it's great for your mental health. I'm with you. My bigger point there is I think you and I, Generation X aging here, yeah. are probably not the best market test. And you, the fact that you don't even want something on your, your face is like rule you out to begin with. My bigger point is I, I'm just acknowledging I'm being self-aware that – it would probably be better to have my daughter and your son talking about this right now. I, probably that's more a great idea. For the, yeah. For the Let's audience. have them on next yeah. show. Um, so I am concerned that this conversation that you and I are having much like Mark Zuckerberg's pitch reminds me of Bill Gates might someday remind people of Bryant Gumbel and Katie Couric reacting to this notion of, Oh, they have this thing called hyperlinks on the world wide web. No, <laughs> But Todd, I'm saying that I think the metaverse is okay. going to happen. I already see it happening. So I'm not like so stuck, you know, with my head in the sand that I'm I, like, I see it because I see it at, not with my personal experiences because I hate putting the thing on my on my head, but I do see it with my son. And there are elements of it that I see as positive. What I am saying is I think Zuckerberg and Facebook are not well positioned to totally do it. Agreed. I don't see it being one metaverse. I think it's it's going to be different experiences. And I think this is the tech industry putting bets on things that aren't real problems that I think are important to solve. Do I think it's going to happen? Yeah, it is. It's already happening. Agreed. It's worth pointing out one of the companies that's also positioned and perhaps even better positioned to bring about the metaverse is Microsoft. I totally agree. I was going to bring that up, Todd. I totally agree. They're HoloLens to begin with, but also the fact that they've got- Well, Xbox. Right. Much more hardware prowess. Xbox is essentially metaverse. Yes. that's. I mean, that's my thing. I, I totally agree. I was like, this is going to emerge out of the gaming world because it's our, that's where it's happening right now. And Facebook isn't great in gaming. Well, they've got Oculus. They got Oculus, but- that's a small, small share well, of the gaming world. Here's the issue. Facebook is not great at gaming, but they are very strong and big in consumer. That's the issue. Whereas Microsoft's strength, yes, they've got Xbox and they've got Minecraft and they've got... Yeah, Facebook has a lot of people. Yep. And I guess this gets into another problem here with Facebook. They've got a lot of people, but young people aren't on Facebook. Right. 
they've t- and and this is I think a play by Facebook tried to like we don't have well, any. They're on Instagram though. Uh, yeah, Instagram. Yeah, but I think they they've lost their appeal with the you know twelve to twenty four year olds, and they're trying to get it back desperately now. Just to be explicit about this, Satya Nadella has talked very clearly about the metaverse. I mean, that's it's a phrase that he's used. They see it happening. And doesn't the TikTok discussion that Microsoft was having last year look a lot different in this context, John? Wouldn't that make a lot more sense? Yeah, I think so. It's funny we were mentioning Microsoft because I can't remember. A little bit of the, the Zuckerberg presentation here on the metaverse reminded me, Todd, and you'll have to pull up these videos. Remember these, some of these Microsoft, like real futuristic yeah. videos oh, yeah. they did? Sure. Um, it just reminded me of that. Cause it was like, I don't know, you're essentially going into the metaverse and I don't know. I just yeah. think they maybe took a page out of those types of videos. Yeah. The Microsoft future productivity videos, they would update them occasionally and somebody be zipping around and it was more conceptual. It was like, Hey, here's where we could be headed. Which is what I liked about it is like, hey, this is just kind of a future as we kind of see it playing out. It wasn't like we're building this and this is the way everybody's going to live and participate in our next product. I agree with you. I think this whole notion of buy into our vision doesn't quite work. Here's where they get me. And I'm somebody who is very much willing to wear a band, use a headset. Like I'm actually the polar opposite of you in terms of my willingness to try some of these technologies. I was just looking at the Amazon eyeglasses, you know, which are much more widely available. I think I might might actually get some of those. As I need a new prescription and I might try it. Anyway, that's a whole digression. I see a few different applications in the metaverse that I actually like. One of them is this whole idea of the literal virtual desktop. You're sitting there at your desk And, you know, I'm Mr. Multi-Monitor. I cannot have too many monitors around me. I love this notion of non-overlapping windows. I don't have to switch or alt-tab, but in virtual space in front of me through the VR headset or the AR headset, having just a whole minority report thing in front of me. Love that idea. Here's my other thing. I think the whole exercise notion on this is amazing and just has huge potential. I think one of the big problems right now is you get really sweaty when you're doing things like the Peloton or, you know, even things like We Fit or, you know, all these sort of different things. And that creates problems when you're wearing a headset. Now, he did announce plans to come out with a headset that's kind of wipeable as part of this. So I, those that's how they get me. And, and he came out with an, anti-sweat uh, technology. <laughs> he's going to stop people from sweating. <laughs> well, he's, Which is, he's, a, he's, you know, which historically been a problem him. with Mark yes, Zuckerberg yes. when, when Kara yes. Swisher was grilling him on stage. And, and here, my bigger point is, I don't get sucked in by the vision so much as I get sucked in by the near-term applications when I look at it and go, oh, whoa, that could be game-changing for me. That specific thing, I need the killer app, that has not changed. And I agree with you that Facebook is not the company to deliver the bigger vision. That's where I am. Speaking of things that can have a real impact on your life, John, coming up next, it's the app of the week. Okay, I might not be in the metaverse, but this app apparently is going to really change things for me. On a a smaller level. So let's get into that after the break. (laughs) Okay. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. 
How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. You're listening to the GeekWire podcast. I'm bringing back the app of the week, as I said, at least for a one-time appearance here, just because I think it's justified. And John, the interesting thing about this is this is actually an app that first came out a few years ago, back in 2019, if I have it correct. And I've been sort of market testing this in terms of whether people know about this app. Everybody I've talked to has not heard about this app before. It includes people who I think would normally be interested in this app. The app is called Libby, L-I-B-B-Y. It is built by Overdrive, which folks may recognize from its eBooks and its interface with your local library. And in fact, this app is essentially a much better interface for your local library. So for example, I can go in and add my Seattle Public Library card and I can check out as many as 25 eBooks or, and here's John, where I think it's gonna make a big difference for you, audiobooks. So you do not have to spend the $20 on the Audible subscription or the credit and you can get audiobooks for free, essentially, through your local library. Now, of course, there are limitations. You can only, as a group, as a library community, have so many checked out at any given time. So if you're looking for the latest, I don't know, Michael Lewis book or, you know, the, the hot new Malcolm Gladwell book or whatever it may be, you're not going to be able to get that. Just as an example, one of the books that Andy Jassy read prior to taking over as Amazon CEO was Three Ring Circus about the Los Angeles Lakers during the Kobe and Shaq era. Came out a while back, totally available. Like I was able to go in and get the ebook and the audiobook. That type of book is really good to get through this. So maybe I oversold it, John, but it's pretty cool. Well, I'll I'll give it a shot. You know, I like listening to to audio. So yeah. Sounds like a cool, cool app. Yeah. Glad apps are still a thing. Yeah. And actually the AirPods are probably the one example of the thing that you will attach to your body that. Well, that is a good point. Yeah. So. That is a good point. I do attach those to my body. So thank, thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> so one cool thing about this is it does integrate with Amazon. So you can check out an ebook and then you can either read it in the Libby app or you can send it to Amazon to go to a Kindle device, for example. And that's with eBooks. With audiobooks, you listen to them actually in the app. One cool thing that I wish they could do is a feature that Amazon offers where you can sync between the eBook and the audiobook. So if you're like reading on your device or on your Kindle, the audiobook would then pick up at the same spot and vice versa. That would be cool, but that does not exist in Libby. So there's some shortcomings, but you can't beat the price. That really to me is the fundamental. Yeah. What have you listened uh, to in Libby? So I've been doing both audiobooks and ebooks. The audiobook I'm listening to right now is Lord of California, all about the different issues with the different regions of California. I'm reading Fred Moody's book, 
Seattle and the Demons of Ambition. We had Fred, the former Seattle Weekly managing editor on the show a while back. I'm listening to what is sort of a companion to Three Ring Circus by the same author. So Three Ring Circus was about the Shaq and Kobe era. Showtime is about the Magic and Kareem era by the same author, Jeff Perlman. And uh, I'm also reading all about the story by Leonard Downey Jr. Now, John, I'm not, I, I, I sort of sample them and that's the nice thing. I can sort of get them downloaded and then I'll, if I if one really takes hold, I, I keep going and I'm not gonna finish or read all of these books, but. There's our app of the week. There it is. And that is the app of the week. <laughs> is that how we used to do it? I know, we got, we got to yeah. bring the little tune. Yeah, back. exactly. It, actually, it was more like this. And that is Libby, and that is GeekWire's App of the Week. So out of practice. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Have a good week. I wish I could reach out and touch you and like feel you. Oh, that's super in the metaverse. Creepy. So we just super weren't in creepy. this, and we weren't in this. We're just in this basic screen experience. We're both in the Todd. office, and yet no. we're online, isn't that? <laughs> we are in the metaverse. <laughs> We are, in a way. <laughs> hey, coming up next week, our guest is Jane Park, a longtime Seattle entrepreneur who is now the leader of an interesting consumer SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company, and is going to be sharing all sorts of inside details. So be sure to tune in next week as well. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business, and more, go to geekwire.com and sign up for our daily email newsletter to receive all of our stories. Our podcast is produced by Kurt Milton. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.